0: Before we start today, I feel the need to begin with the big news. This is the last full episode of Hard to Believe. The show is coming to an end. Sort of. (laughs) More accurately, the show is going through a metamorphosis. So first of all, I'm not going anywhere. Instead, in case you missed the trailer, I'm excited to tell you that I'm teaming up with my friend, the brilliant Kelly Baker, for a new show with a new title, Pod Only Knows. After doing the show for more than three years, I've learned a lot about both the time and mental space that goes into making a podcast. So when I started my second show with Joey Lewandowski, I also learned the value of having a collaborator. I could not be luckier to get to work with Kelly as she finally, after making several threats to do so, enters into the world of podcasting. So a couple of practical notes to make here. One is that if you are already subscribed to Hard to Believe, you don't need to do anything. The feed will automatically transition to the new show in May, so all you have to do is listen. Two, the subject matter will remain largely intact. Kelly and I will be bringing our enthusiasm for religious studies to the new show and exploring all the ways religion manifests in our world. But we'll be sticking to a recurring format. Pod Only Knows will release regularly every other Tuesday, with other special episodes thrown in the mix at various times throughout the month. And we already have a bunch of incredible content ready to go. Thanks so much for being with me over the years. I'm really excited about this new chapter, and I think you'll agree that the new show is going to be everything you liked about this one, but better. Okay, so with that, this final official Hard to Believe episode is a bit of a personal indulgence. I've been listening to Gary Stevens' History in the Bible podcast for years. In fact, when we bought a house a couple of years ago, this was my official packing podcast. Gary's show is unique among history, and especially religious history podcasts, in that he comes in with no pretense of objectivity and looks at the subject through the lens of a secular humanist without an axe to grind. He presents the material with a rare mix of clarity, warmth, and humor. I wanted to have him on since my first season, but could never really figure out the right time. As fate would have it, History in the Bible is ending its eight-year run in the next few months, so it seemed like a good place to end my podcast too. A quick content note, late in the episode, we talk about Q, and if listeners don't know, this is not a reference to Q of QAnon fame, but rather the hypothetical sayings gospel that some scholars think was used as a source for the sayings found in Matthew and Luke, and then later lost to history as it merged with those two gospels. That's a bit of Bible nerd stuff that I realize now is not necessarily common knowledge, so now you know. Anyway, here now for the final Hard to Believe is my talk with Gary Stevens. very welcome uh, and i I've, I've long wanted to have you on the on the podcast and i thought this was a great time because i am sort of technically ending this show and transitioning into something else and you hmm. after many years of threatening to end your show um <laughs> <laughs> are finally are finally pulling the trigger uh, on on ending so that makes how
1: many years now
0: that you've been doing this
1: well first thank you for having me on it's a delight to be here. Uh, yeah, the show will wrap up after eight years. Wow. Uh, I mean, I when I started it, I thought it'd run for maybe twenty episodes. Yeah. And we're now up to about one hundred and eighty.
0: <laughs> now, was that was that was that because of popular demand, or was that because you just kept finding new stones that you were uncovering and didn't want to didn't want to stop uncovering those stones?
1: I just kept going. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, um, you know, uh, I mean, I decided each episode would be about thirty minutes because I thought that's about a commute time. Yeah, and it's as long as I'm prepared to edit. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay, because as you know, the longer the show, the more tedious it becomes to edit, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in, in like interviews like this. I don't envy <laughs> editing live stuff. <laughs> Even editing my own scripted stuff is. Tedious, yeah. and I just I just started at the beginning, of Genesis, and there was no there was no plan really. I just thought I'll start here, and keep going. So it just it just turned into what it is.
0: You don't you're not a you're not a biblical scholar. You're not someone nope. with necessarily a background in religious studies. Nope. Um, so what. What what did you do or do you do? What is your
1: what is your field and, and why did you do this? Yes, I'd like to emphasize I'm not a biblical scholar. <laughs> I'm not even a biblical student. Yep. I call myself a buff. Now I call myself I call myself that specifically because that gives me a lot of leeway. I don't have to be objective and I say I'm not objective. I don't have to give everyone equal time when there's disputes. And I can follow my own interests because yep. I'm a buff. My original background is I first studied architecture. Of all things, I moved. Uh, I moved into computer aided design at a time when at a, at a time when computers lived in rooms the size of Belgium. Yeah. Yep. So this is this is the very beginning of computer aided design, and my aptitudes fell much in more with that. I would have been a terrible architect. Absolutely <laughs>
0: rotten.
1: So I fell into that. But after a few years, my interest turned to the social sciences. Mm-hmm. So I did a master's in the philosophy of science, and I found that absolutely fascinating. And I then turned that interest into looking at computer-aided design. Because in those days, the sole selling point of computer-aided design is you can fire your staff, because you'll get a three-to-one extra work ratio if you install these enormous computers. That was the sole rationale, not you'll do things Mm -hmm. better, not this is Mm -hmm. the future, it was just that. And it was obvious to me, well, hang on a minute, if they're right and you're going to be firing all these people, won't that have a little bit of an effect on the profession? So I became interested in sociology professions, um, ended up doing a degree in that. Uh, actually, that's my greatest academic achievement. <laughs> I discovered 30 years after the fact that I'd actually founded an entire new mini-school of thought oh, on the wow. study of the architecture profession. And I didn't know it. But I was, I, I don't, I was the revered founder. Uh, seriously, revered founder. So you don't get royalty uh, checks
0: for that or anything? That You don't get a...
1: Uh... Oh, yeah. I, I got... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, got a, I got a book out. Of, I got a book out of the PhD.
0: Okay, okay. And, okay. and,
1: and of course, an academic book gives you the royalties. Right. Maybe you can afford a um, an ice cream every ten years. A That's sandwich. about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but a whole bunch of people were cottoning onto it, and I had absolutely no idea because I'd left the university by that time, the whole academic system. And it was just when one one guy said, "You yeah, know, we're, we're collecting a bunch of essays about your work," I said, "My work." And, yeah, so just snowball from there. So that's my great academic achievement. Anyway, I left the university, moved into IT, because there was no place for me in the university. I mean, one of the conclusions I came to was that architecture should not be taught at universities. So you're not going to get a job at a university with that attitude. <laughs> that's true. Right? Yeah, okay. You're <laughs> telling your bosses, I should not be here.
0: Yeah, not a great selling point. No, not a great selling point. <laughs> not <a> great pitch. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I moved into IT, and I spent my life as an IT contractor. And after many years of that, well, I thought I'd like something to do between contracts because the time can vary enormously, from weeks to months, and that's why that's how the podcast was born. Okay. Now I had been interested in biblical studies since I was a kid, I've always approached it from a secular humanist point of view. Sure. And I'd done as much reading as I could do without access to any uh, academic information. So well before I got into the podcast, I knew about the documentary hypothesis, for example, Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things like that. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. Hmm. I I want a time filler. The podcast sounded a good idea. Technically, they're not hard to do. It's not like make it's not like making videos or learning the piano. True. And I have the skills from my academic background to do the research, and penetrate just far enough into the academic research that I can understand it and maybe distinguish, um, you know, complete garbage from what is reasonable, and to get a feel for things. So it all happened purely by accident.
0: Well, that's very interesting. I um, One of the things that I loved about your podcast early on was the way that you explicitly identified yourself as not objective uh, quite proudly in, in intros to the podcasts. This is one of those, I mean, approaching studying and talking about the bible and dissecting it and presenting um a a history of and around it it's i don't know that it's possible to be objective right about the bible because even if you if you if you are quote unquote you know objective then then you're probably coming at it from a apologist angle or something so you know i i I, i'm not sure that that's even possible and i think sort of starting from the perspective of i'm just this is just my take on the, on the research, I think is a really sort of helpful, uh, especially for a lot of people who aren't looking for an apologist podcast and aren't looking for a a specifically Christian perspective on it or whatever. And there's few and far between, right. I I think that's a really, um, it's a really needed, uh, perspective and, and being kind of blunt about saying this is not the, uh, the be-all end-all of biblical interpretation, this is just just one of many, right, um, not-objective interpretations.
1: Well, I'm glad that certainly came through. Uh, And my studies in sociology pretty much convinced me that, and I quote, reality is socially constructed. The concept of objectivity is meaningless, absolutely meaningless in the social sciences, I believe. Maybe you can get away with it in physics and chemistry and there's a lot of social scientists who study science who say no nah. even then no 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 objectivity
0: um well we certainly made a made an art of that in this country um, <laughs> in recent in recent years ah uh, that's <laughs> true
1: you've constructed a whole bunch of different realities haven't you
0: for sure but i i take i take your point and i um i i always kind of struggle with with living with both of those realities at the same time that, that there is uh there are facts but that's distinct from from pure objective reality. When you get down to the academic nitty gritty, social sciencey yeah. um, side of it, and I think being able to um, exist within those facts is 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 really important, right? And and to have the maturity of being able to sort of uh, live within those contradictions, um, as as the Bible constantly asks us to do, anyway. Uh, so, I I also want to know about. So the title of your podcast, I've always found it really interesting. Um, I know very well that naming a podcast is far more work than people think it is. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's history in the Bible. Why that that title?
1: Firstly, because history of the Bible is a very common phrase. Right. And if you Google it, you'll end up with thousands of things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And... That was simply not what I was doing. I was not making a history of the Bible. I was basically going about it as an amateur historian looking at the accounts of history given in the Bible. So let's start with Genesis, Uh, Abraham and co. What do we actually know of Abraham and his tribe? And could these events have actually happened? All that sort of stuff. So I'm, although, as it turned out, the history of the Bible did turn out to be a major theme running through the show. Mm-hmm. That's not what the show's about. I'm interested in what actually happened in history, how it's depicted in the Bible, uh, and changing views. A show called History of the Bible would be literally that. Yeah. So I would have thought the whole point of such a podcast would be to show how the Bible came together
0: mm-hmm.
1: without looking at, without a critical look at what's going on inside the Bible. You're simply doing what? literary analysis, critical analysis of how the books are assembled, et cetera. But you're not, to, by definition, you're not looking at did these events actually happen? How do they relate to the history? Mm-hmm. So it's much broader than that.
0: Um, one of the, I, I, I love podcasts where, I, I mean, I, I love experts. I love people who know their field inside and out. And I love people who are able to, you know, articulate those things. Like I love Dan Carlin and, and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But I, yeah. I tend to really gravitate towards podcasts when people are learning alongside the listener, there's something about that kind of um inclusivity almost right it's it, it's almost like you're it's almost a a, a group effort that you just kind of feel like you're part of the journey um so i think what's what's been really great about yours is 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 that that it's very clear that you've been learning over the last several years uh as well as as well as informing
1: well that's interesting because yes that's exactly what i've been doing i've yeah. been learning as i go i didn't know that that aspect came through and i'm glad it does i must admit I'm very glad that it does. I mean, I found in my academic career, the best way to learn something is to try and explain it to someone. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I've often... <laughs> true?
0: It's a good point. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Because it's only when you come to that point that you go, uh. <laughs> hmm, yeah. hmm, And I often found in all sorts of various topics during the show, I'd read some experts, oh, yeah, that's a great explanation of this, and it all makes perfect sense. And then I come to write the script and I think, wait a minute, this is full of holes, and it doesn't make sense. I can't turn that into into an explanation because it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I had to, what I call, vagify things.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: De-dogmatize them or, or simply omit them. Because even though I'm thinking, yeah, this guy thinks he's no- he knows what he's talking about, but there's, there's something wrong here. It's just, not, it's just not right. So in that sense, I was certainly learning. But I'm, I'm glad that came through, actually. How did I do that? <laughs> I, have no, um, well, I have no idea about it.
0: Well, I think it's just a natural. I mean, when you when you are doing a podcast where it's very clear that I mean, you make it explicit that you're not an expert and that you are a buff and that you are you know doing the research as you're going. I, I think that the participatory part of it just kind of naturally comes in, right? And I mean, also, I mean, with a you, know, you have a you have a experience teaching, and I think that you know probably. Probably helps uh, the, the the case a little bit, but um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that, that podcasts can often be uh, like, like lectures or books on tape um, and, and they work best when they are, uh, when, when you are, feel like the listener is coming along, you know, for the journey with you. So yeah, it's yeah. been, it's been very cool.
1: Yeah. Well, you have experience teaching, don't you?
0: I do. I uh, I am I am I am also a teacher, and I, that's why I laughed when you said, um, you know, the best way to learn something is to try to explain it. And I, mm. I think as a teacher, I I don't think I ever thought of it quite that way, but I think as a teacher and a parent, I can relate. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a very uh, that's a very insightful observation. Um, yeah, certainly. I've I've uh, when I realize I can't really explain something, I go back and (laughs) try and learn it better. Um, So let's talk about some of the things that as you went through over the years, um, you know, we all come into these kinds of fields of research, assuming that we're going to have uh, some of our preconceived notions confirmed and, or have other ones kind of shed more light on. But um, you know, the things that you were not expecting to find that you, that you, maybe you don't think that someone who would go on a journey, you know, uh, like yours, uh, would, would, would think of, um, going in, uh, what, what are some of the big, the big shocking moments for you or the big sort of game-changing, um, revelations that you had along, along the way?
1: Well, first I'd like to say there was nothing which was shattering. I mean, I'd been reading about this stuff for 40 years. I, so I had um, as good a background as a layperson could get, pretty much. So I didn't suddenly say, oh, my God, I've lost my faith. Or, <laughs> right. I, or, or, or I didn't know that there were two kingdoms in, in ancient Palestine. Ha, huh, shock, horror. Absolutely nothing like that. Yeah. In fact, all the research I did pretty much sort of, yeah, okay, that's fine. Confirmed. Okay. So it's nothing like that. So everything was sort of um, really in the details. A lot of things would be technical, I suppose. or Well, one revelation was, geez, those professors, they hate each other's guts. That was a shock. <laughs> in, in modern biblical studies, because there was a revolution in Old Testament studies, basically in 1971, when a guy called William Foxwell Albright died. And he had dominated the archaeology and theory of biblical studies since the 1930s. He was an incredibly smart guy. He founded, he didn't just write articles. He founded whole journals. He was a master linguist. And on his death, the overall consensus of the scholarly community was that, for example, the book of Genesis is a reasonably accurate portrayal of uh, life in a certain point of the Bronze Age. And Abraham and his family seem to be, yes, typical Bronze Age people, and roughly the Bible in the first books tells a a plausible, incredible story. That all fell apart over the next uh, 20 years, and there were huge clashes between what I would call the traditionalists and what I can only call the modernists, who basically said, no, no, everything that, that... was the consensus in 1971, is turning out to be completely wrong. And they had bitter arguments right through to the 21st century as to what was really going on and what did the archaeology actually say. Uh, wow, did the vitriol fight? And it wasn't just in emails or notice boards or social chat. It was in formal academic papers and Mm -hmm. some of my favourite quotes. Some have tried to gain a moment of fame by attempting to participate in the hot chronology debate with quite amusing results, which demonstrate a complete misunderstanding of the whole issue. <laughs> yeah, so so that was a bit of a shock. Uh, in, in my former research work in architecture or sociology, they didn't People just didn't slam each other like that. They just didn't. <laughs> they would have disagreements, or so they'd say, yeah. okay, I've got my approach, you've got your approach. Maybe the twain will meet, maybe they won't. Yeah. But these people were um running at each other with scissors.
0: Yeah. Well, I I I think, you know, again, th- this field is is so unique because unlike sociology and psychology, you know, this is something that people in different ways base their lives around. So you have people who are, yeah. you know, people like you and me who are secular and study, right, and and, and are interested yeah. and, and and whatever. And you have people who are, you know, true believers and you have people who are all along the sort of spectrum in between, right, where, where the sort of, you know, the Bart Ermans who are kind of hanging on to something, <laughs> but but generally, you know, sort of Secular, but every sort of part of that frame, every sort of place on that spectrum, changes the way that you're gonna you're gonna see these things. So I, I'm not entirely surprised that there's oh. this much vitriol, um, because I don't think people. I mean, some I suppose some psychologists care about the field, the, you know, the specific version of psychology they mm. use or whatever, but but not I don't think in the same kind of in the same sort of you know sort of fundamental sort of. Um, Personal way that that religion
1: yeah is you know yeah yeah I was just going to say actually I was thinking maybe the the only closest thing would be psychology where you have Jungians versus Freudians versus behaviorists right yeah exactly but it's not really wrapped up in your personality right and in biblical studies there is a huge extra dimension of politics yeah. Because a lot of traditionalists said that the modernists, with these new archaeological discoveries, were denying the right of the state of Israel to exist, mm-hmm. which was certainly incorrect. But that arose many times, and actually, you'll still find it today. Yeah, uh, if you look at um, yeah, if you look at modern newspaper articles uh, of whatever the latest find is in in Palestine or the Middle East, it'll always be portrayed as. Oh, Look, we found the skull of David. Mm. There's Jesus foreskin. Proof that Jesus <laughs> existed. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tied up with and and all and all of course the discoveries are always so trivial. We found a rock <laughs> with the name David on it. Therefore, the book of Kings is completely accurate. Right. And you go, no, yep. no. Yep. So many people are desperate to find. Uh, some sort of evidence. Yeah. So there's this whole political thing, and as you say, it's wrapped. It's wrapped up in people's lives. Yeah, which 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 complicates things enormously.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. Um, I I I also wonder in the. Over the years, the feedback that you've gotten from listeners—do you have listeners yeah. of kind of all stripes? I mean, do 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 most of your listeners kind of fall in the same broad category as you and me, or or do you have people who have reached out to you either angrily or approvingly uh, to say, "Oh, that was you know, I'm I'm a believer, but that was um, that was interesting," or or what what what's 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 your experience been with the with the hate mail or the love mail or whatever mail you get?
1: I, I've never received a hate email. That's great. <laughs> that, great. that makes you unique among podcasters. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I've received a lot of bad reviews. Okay. And the bad reviews pretty much always are from the point of view of, um, oh, for example, one guy said, I will never listen to this guy again. He got Paul completely wrong. And he goes on with his description of Paul, and it's a very, it's the Protestant Paul. So, although he doesn't know it, he would disagree with the Catholics and the Orthodox. Uh, So, there's a few of those. There have been uh, a small number of people who are um, fundagelical, shall we say? Sure. And they just, nah. If they could give us zero stars, they would. (laughs) Um, And and condemn me to whatever. Yeah. Uh, On the other hand, I get letters. uh, Well, actually, apart from reviews, well, in reviews and in emails, I do get a moderate number from self-confessed Christians Mm
0: -hmm.
1: who say, um, uh, typically, uh, one thing I like about your podcast is that you are not assaulting christianity you are not ramming something down my throat you're not criticizing it you're just saying these things and you're leaving it up to uh christians to make up their own minds and to think about it and that is why i recommend the podcast to my christian friends mm. and that, and that's a very nice thing to do to yeah. say
0: yeah i i imagine that the with a topic like like this the battle for good reviews is even tougher <laughs> because you do, you do have a whole bunch of people who are incentivized to um, give you you know what one or zero whatever it is right yeah. uh, uh, stars and so that's that's got to be another kind of added dimension of the of the challenge to, to doing something like this successfully I would think
1: yeah it is I, I yeah. suppose all I can do is try to be respectful to both Judaism and Christianity only I haven't got many. I can't think of many other reviews or emails from Jews. Although I think one of, one of the things I tried to do with a podcast is it's not about Christianity. Uh, it's about Judaism and Christianity. Yeah. And I think most, if you just look at the category religious podcasts, what, 95% of them would be sermons, Christian things, that sort of thing. Yeah. And if you look at, say, Jewish podcasts, 95% of them would be about um, Talmudic studies, Jewish things. They don't come together.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, they, yeah.
1: They, they do not overlap, yeah. except in the, the most minor way, whereas I've tried to make the whole thing one big fat continuity. And my final episodes are going to be looking at uh, what I call the Heirs of Abraham the sort of the final split between Judaism and Christianity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, I got uh, one nice email from a, a Jewish listener who said that he continued listening through the show when it reached the Christian era. And I thought I'd lose most Jews at that point because mm-hmm. they're just not interested. And he said that it um, made him less scared of Christianity.
0: Wow. Um, scared Scared how In in sort of the... Unless I, mean, I don't know if this person elaborated, but in terms of as a as a sort of the cultural domination side of it, or the or the like, you know, kind of strange uh, foreign idea element of it, like what what did this listener mean by by scared? Do you think
1: the what I think he was saying? Firstly, the cultural domination side, yeah, and he was very aware that he was living in a world where. um a really quite different religion, was dominant. And it's not a particularly tolerant religion and and hasn't been until really very, 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 very recently. And also, he didn't know that much about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, to an outsider, you'd hear Jesus. Well, that's about it. The theology, but the unknown... And if someone tried to explain the theology to you—the three-in-one God—and this guy died and came back to life, (laughs) you'd be going, "Is that it? Is that it? Is that it? Is that it? Is that that what it's about?" (laughs) Really? Yeah. It'd be like I suppose if a Hindu tried to explain Hinduism to me. Sure. I look on. I look on Hinduism from afar, and I see these strange animal gods, and. I know that is deeply connected to the to the sense of Indian identity, but it's just this strange amorphous thing to me, yeah, which no one's ever tried to explain to me. Uh, so I think to a Jew Christianity would appear like that.
0: Well, I want to. We'll we'll get to some of the things that you have to say about um, sort of what you learned about Judaism along the way too, because I think that's really interesting. But hmm. I, last thing I want to say on this is that you know I, one of the reasons that I'm <laughs> miss a voice like yours is to sort of get back to something that you said earlier which is you know again we we have 95 percent of religion podcasts or evangelical christian self-help whatever yeah. um <laughs> or 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 you know very um evangelizing uh in in yeah. nature and Especially in this country, there is a tendency for non-religious people to have a reactionary um, sort of opposition to religion and everything about yeah. it. And there's very little room, there's very little space for um, you know what you do and and what some of you know. I, there's a couple of hmm. podcasts that you've been associated with over the years as well. And I think they also do a very good job of this, but but of you know, teaching and talking about religion in a way that's not trying to put anybody down or slam anything, but also Mm -hmm. try to be, um, fact-based and, and, uh, and illuminating about it without picking a side. Right. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's unfortunate that we still haven't really, I think, carved out, um, enough space for
1: that, but, um, that's, that's more my soapbox. (laughs) No, I I think it, and most, most, Podcasts which would be categorized as religious tend to be proselytizing. Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: or or they are reaffirming. Yeah, the yeah. listeners' beliefs.
0: Yep. Yeah, and and lis- listeners get upset when they're not <laughs> when you label them it's, as religious, and it's, it's <laughs> uh, and then they give you uh, the one listeners get
1: upset you're when it. you're not. And if you have a religious podcast by an atheist, often they are just right. um, they're just as dogmatic.
0: Yeah, it's the Sam some, Harris, some, the Sam Harris effect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Um, let's talk about what you learned about Judaism. I find this really interesting because you've 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 illuminated a few points with me that we'll that we'll talk about. Um, I you know it's one of those things where like I've been in this I've been in this world for so long that. I kind of forget what people don't know about Judaism. <laughs> like yeah. I tend to forget what people generally don't know about religion in general, and it's just one of those things that I have sort of a I have sort of blinders on about it because um, it's hard to remember what people who aren't you don't know. Um, so I found some of the things That's that true. you that you were saying to me via email, etc., really illuminating um, in what you've come to sort of how you came to how you understood Judaism coming in versus how you understand it going out and the relationship between that and and Christianity. So if you want to talk about some of those, some of those key points, I'd love to hear it.
1: I think the first thing I learned, I really learned about Judaism was that it is all about the law and the contract. And I discovered this fairly early when I was looking at Genesis, the whole notion of oh, sorry, Judaism is about a three-way contract. God, his people and an element which is often missed the land God will look after his people if they follow the contract and he will give them this sacred land if they follow the contract Mm -hmm. and the contract is embodied in the law how do Jews follow the contract? We follow the law that is not in Christianity. I mean, you may think, oh, yes, well, yes, we're supposed to do what God tells us to do. Yeah. But no, it's actually completely different yeah. in, in Judaism. it is min- The contract is really minutely laid out after the Bible in, in a work called the Mishnah, which was compiled around about the year 200. And, and I actually have a copy of the Mishnah. I bought one. <laughs> it's 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 a brick of a book Oh yeah Absolute brick of a book And then I was surprised to learn Even Jewish scholars Would not have a copy of the Mishnah Because the Mishnah is never ever studied by itself It is studied as its embodiment In the Talmuds Right So it, it's about like saying Have you read Great Expectations? Huh? No, of course not. I read the Cliffs Notes Expanded Great Expectations, (laughs) which includes the whole novel and notes by vast numbers of uh, literary scholars. Right. And that's the only way you ever read Great Expectations, embedded in this massive commentary. So I didn't know that, and the whole concept of the law. So that's a fundamental difference to Christianity. And this leads on to the notion of Talmudic uh, Judaism, which starts off with the Mishnah. And one of the things, as I was in, when I was writing the episodes on where did the rabbis come from, and the rabbis evolved. Maybe we think maybe first century AD slash CE. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm old fashioned. I tend to think of it as AD. I do too. I'm with. Yeah. You. Yeah. Uh, and. The initial CE Common Era have been hijacked by Christians because many of them interpret CE e. as Christian Era. Oh, no, that I didn't know work. that.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah, it's interesting. Christian <laughs> Era. I had no idea. It's obvious. It, it, it refers to the same thing. So why is it different? I mean, it just seems. It, I don't know. It just seems too clever by half. But yeah, I, I use AD and BC as well. For,
1: for it does. ADNBC. I mean, if we use the Muslim dating system, sure. I'd have no problem <laughs> with using AH. After sure. Hegira or however it's pronounced. That's right. Yeah. yeah what exactly. Have... Yeah. <laughs> I have no problem with that. Yeah. Even though I'm not Muslim. So I'm not sure what that thing is. Um, yeah. So, what, what I discovered about Rabbinic Judaism is that, firstly, it is radically different from Second Temple Judaism. Mm-hmm. I doubt that one in a thousand modern Jews would have any idea. How radically different modern Jude- rabbinic Judaism from is from the Judaism that existed around about the time of Jesus, going backwards about three centuries. Uh, Second Temple Judaism, as we call it, after the, re- after the Jews returned from Babylon. Now, that was an amazingly fertile period, bubbling with sects and weird ideas and apocalyptic thoughts. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Nothing could be further from rabbinic Judaism than that. So most Jews would not know about the Second Temple period. Right. Uh, I mean, the impression that the the religion gives is that the rabbis will have been with us since Moses.
0: Right. Yep.
1: And it's always been like this. Yep, And of course, Christians wouldn't know anything about Second Temple Judaism. (laughs) Never. No, yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, until we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in the late 1940s, it was believed that the apocalyptic element in Christianity was unique. The Christians had invented that. Suddenly we get the Dead Sea Scrolls and everyone goes, What? Mm. What? You mm-hmm. mean these ideas are floating around all over the place? Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, yo, yo.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's again it, it, I've, I've I've said in the past that this is you know the other thing that makes this particular field so interesting aside from the um, the way that it's difficult to parse the academic from the from the personal is is that it's new. Discoveries, new archaeology is is constantly changing academic consensus and all that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I, I just don't think that we have even fully come to full grips with the implications of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Nagamati library. And I don't think that, you know, yeah. those things have have really sort of uh, fully, the illumination of of a consensus around those things has has really taken hold. And I don't think it will for 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 a long time. I think we're still wrestling with with the implications of those things.
1: Oh, I'd agree with that. I mean, yeah. one of the things I was a bit surprised about with Nagamati and the discovery of the Gnostic documents was how poorly they were received um, by most modern scholars. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that it's pretty much Elaine Pagel who got them onto the academic uh, syllabus, curriculum, interest. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Because a lot of people simply denied that they were Gnostic at all because they disagreed with what Irenaeus and other church fathers had said. Mm. They were saying all sorts of things, which Irenaeus simply doesn't mention. They said, oh, they can't possibly be be Gnostic. They can't possibly be because they're not in the church fathers. Now, this was a typical reaction from Catholic scholars. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think I've got some choice quotes about that. The Catholics <laughs> saying, <laughs> where Catholics were, were saying about uh, Pagels, who was a young academic at the time, yeah. basically saying, keep your nose out of this young lady. You know, yep. this is not for you. Yep. So that's been resisted. So, so, it'll yes, as you say, it will take generations for all this to finally settle into the academic world. And given that we discovered Nagamadi and the, the Dead Sea Scrolls so recently, and they're both really basically one in a thousand year finds, anything could pop up yep. in the next 20, 50, 100, 200 years. Absolutely. Where we again have to go, ooh, yep. didn't expect that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I, and yeah, and I think some of those things are more likely than than not, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that. I I think that I, I'm still on the fence about Q, for instance. Um, oh, OK, but but I, I I think that one of the things that makes Q difficult is that. If it existed, it makes it likely that we'll never find one, <laughs> because yeah. you know the the hypothesis is that Q got wrapped into Luke and, Ma- and Matthew, and so and so yeah. all all remaining versions of it were no longer reproduced and or destroyed, and there's no reason to think that somebody would have uh tucked one away in a box because of a purge because it didn't it didn't need to exist. I'd be yeah. thrilled if we found a cue. I, I don't think that's gonna happen. But I certainly yeah. think that there's probably even older versions of the of the so called Gnostic texts uh floating out there in a in a cave yeah. somewhere and uh yeah I think there's there's still yeah. there's still other chapters of that to write.
1: As an aside, I am a Q proponent. Yeah but I happily admit we've never found any document which could, not a fragment, nothing, yeah, which yeah. which looks like it. No church father refers to it as such. Um. Yeah. So I happily admit. Mm, okay. Uh, and as you say, yeah, there is no reason for it to be purged.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: oh well. So yeah. So so where is it? <laughs> Where is it?
0: I, I it would be amazing if if it were found, but no, I I tend to I'm I'm more on your side. I I, I tend to uh, hedge toward the Q hypothesis, but um yeah. I I'd be I'd be completely open to being that that either being confirmed or or yeah. Yeah. You know, debunked. Um
1: yeah yeah uh, well frankly I I tend I tend towards Q just on Occam's razor.
0: Yeah yeah I do too. We yeah. have these
1: huge commonalities, often word for word in Matthew and Luke. What's the simplest hypothesis?
0: Yeah, mm. and and the, the the specific differences between them, right? As well, is is what oh, yeah. makes it right. That, that that's the thing for me that that if you say one copied the other, then I, I have some questions about why certain changes were made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why does Luke go back to one donkey as opposed to two, or oh, if yeah, it was okay. the other way around, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I I there's some things yeah. there where I'm like I don't necessarily, but and that also could be. Of course, our versions of Matthew and Luke are much later, anyway, and that those could all be have been changes gotcha. over over time. Who the heck knows? But it's uh, it's yeah. it's super fun to have those thought experiments and uh, keep keep your eye on the archaeological world to see if anything cool yeah, yeah. comes up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, as
1: a, as a Q fan, I yeah. like to see the guys who say Matthew copied Luke attack the guys who say no Luke copied Matthew. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that's fun. Yeah.
1: yeah, <laughs> I agree. yeah, yeah. And I like get into their I guess.
0: and I think it's a fun argument because I like to see what those are, yeah. what those arguments are, and 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 how much how much you know weight they uh, they, they carry. But um, yeah. yeah, that's that's my idea of a good time, which is why I'm so yeah. fun, at, fun at parties. Um, I have a question for you. I've I've often wanted to know this this answer. If you if you have an answer to it, is there a part of the Bible that you just really Like that, you is is there a do you have a favorite story or a favorite book just from a purely kind of, you know, academic storytelling historical perspective?
1: Uh, I like the Prophet Amos. Okay, because he's because he's harmless. (laughs) Uh, It's a good someone uh, someone um, uh, some I think Yale scholar called Amos the perfect pocket prophet. <laughs> he talks plainly. He's concerned for the poor. Yeah. There's no crazy imagery or uh, apocalyptic stuff in it. I think he's cute. Mm-hmm. I have a strange fondness for the books of Chronicles, which have got okay. to be two of the least read books in the Bible. And I suppose I'm fond of them for that reason. <laughs> I mean, the, the, most of the chapters of Chronicles are, I mean, gee, the opening chapters, are first Chronicles, list after list, so on and so on and this and that and the high priest and the list. So deadly dull. And I admire the poor hapless bureaucrat who had to write that because he has no literary talent whatsoever. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, Chronicles are the sad books of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. They're rarely referenced. I don't think they are. Do they appear in any liturgy?
0: I don't in think any, so. Any,
1: no, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I can't. I, I don't think that the Book of Common Prayer references them or the, the Catholics because they're just. <laughs> So I'm sort of fond of that.
0: So you like it like a uh, unloved stepchild, kind of, um, or a, mm. a lost, a lost puppy, uh, you know, a stray, a stray cat of the Bible uh, that doesn't get enough, enough love and attention.
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't get enough love and attention. <laughs> not that I'm saying that Chronicles deserves it. No, I'm yeah. not. Yeah, it's just sort of, yeah, there's this, these little lost souls. The books of Chronicles in the Old Testament. <laughs> Uh isn't it sweet someone decided to preserve <laughs> <A really laughs> tedious glory?
0: Uh, well That's those are those are good answers. Um okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna I'm gonna wrap up with you so that you know you can get on with sure. get on with your day in your life. Um so quickly before we do that, um just I I, I just wanna I just wanna say thank you for so many years of, uh, so much great content. And if people have not found your podcast yet, well, the fact that you're going away doesn't matter to them because they have years of, uh, episodes to catch (laughs) up on. So, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that work with, with, with the world. And it's been, uh, it's been a real, real delight, uh, following along this journey with you over the years.
1: Well, I'd like to thank you for your appreciation and I'm glad you enjoyed it. What more can I say? Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. And before we, before we uh,
0: sign off, you are coming to the end. When is the actual real for real this time uh, end of the podcast going to be?
1: Well, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> because because my, I'm, only about, I'm only two or three episodes away, but my final episode is going to be called Speculations.
0: Oh,
1: okay. In which I will delve into alternative history. But I recently discovered uh, an entire recently published book on the theory of alternative history, or Ukrania, as it calls it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, it happens to be a French book translated into English, and I'm very familiar with French intellectual works, and oh boy, does it go on, <laughs> and on, and on. But uh, it's three hundred pages with many essays in it. Yeah. So I have to read that entire book first. Now, I will probably get half a paragraph out of that. But I figured before I do an episode called Speculations, I ought to uh, familiarize myself with the theory of Ukrainians or counterfactuals or alternative history, whatever you think. So that's going to take me a while. Yeah, it sounds like it. So But but I, I would say that... Oh, we're in April already, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I, th- I thought it'd be March, but given I have to read this book, uh, it'll be July. Okay. But, but, July. <laughs> yeah, all that, but but there's still only two or three episodes to go. That's okay. i will just be space. <laughs> fair
0: fair enough. Uh, looking forward to hearing that, and um, congratulations, and uh, you know, get some get some well earned rest. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure it'll be a little bit of a bittersweet uh,
1: ending, but. But Yeah, yeah, will. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. And I'm glad that listeners appreciate the news. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for joining me. Uh, it's,
0: been real, it's been a real pleasure. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. But he knows what I'd be with